Good morning. I am Jan Fran and welcome to The Briefing. It's the podcast that gets you up to speed every morning with the news that you need to know. Today is Tuesday, the 25th of August, and I'm joined by Annika Smithhurst. Morning, Jan. Good morning to you, Annika. Today on The Briefing, we're going to take a deep dive on post-pandemic cultural shifts. Will COVID kill the bra? We're going to see far less formal uh, dressing in the office. And, you know, we've had that athleisure trend, haven't we, um, in our private lives for some years. And I think really this is just going to cement that. Yeah, we're going to take a look at what this pandemic and, and this recession might do to the way that we dress, the way that we eat, how we work, how we play, and how much of a lasting effect it'll have in the years to come. Before we get to that, though, the big stories of the day. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews will extend Victoria's state of emergency for another year. That's not something anyone's happy about, but we don't have the luxury, any of us, to ignore the realities that we face. We've got to protect public health. The state of emergency order is essentially what gives the chief health officer the power to make people wear masks in public, to quarantine and isolate for 14 days, and to set the rules on the number of people allowed at venues. It's currently due to expire next month. He'll introduce a bill when Parliament returns on September 1, but the state opposition and some crossbenchers have already ruled out supporting it and he needs their support. This is not the act of a Democrat. This is the act of a Premier whose power has gone to his head. Well, that was Victoria's opposition leader Michael O'Brien there. And you think it might be perhaps tricky to get it through Victorian Parliament, Annika? Look, it really could be. Labor only has 17 of the 40 upper house seats. They, of course, lost one of their own when they had a branch stacking scandal recently. doesn't mean they won't get it through, but a couple of crossbenchers have already said that they're not 100% sure on this. Darren Hinch has a couple of members in the Victorian House. He will support this bill. It's just not a certainty. It's a lot of power to give to a government, a democratically elected government. So I think they might struggle on this one. Mm, And a historic day in our federal parliament too. Yeah, we had a couple couple of people asking questions via video link. Richard Miles, the Deputy Leader of Labor, was the first one to chime in. He lives in Geelong and he asked a question in question time via video. So we do have some MPs in Canberra. If they came up, they did have to isolate those Victorians that came up. We also have masks in the chamber. I saw everyone wearing one except for Peter Dutton, but it was pointed out to me that he actually has had the coronavirus, so maybe he thinks he's not at risk of passing it on again. Uh, look, a really, really strange day, but having those people uh, interact via Zoom. There's been a lot of calls for it from the public and Mm -hmm. they're finally doing it. Well, look, if the rest of the population has to interact via Zoom, our politicians are no exception to that. Uh, It wasn't a great day for the federal aged care minister, though, was it? No, he had a shocker. Look, on Friday, he couldn't recall some numbers about how many people in aged care had died and how many actually had COVID-19. So, He went on to try and apologise about this and also answer some more questions, and this is what happened. Can I, at the outset, express my sincere condolences to every resident's family who've lost a loved one during the pandemic into aged care? Can I also say that I should have had the data on Friday and I apologise for not having done that? Yeah, he then went on and struggled. He had the up-to-date figures in front of him. He got those wrong asked a few more questions and just couldn't quite get on top of the answer in question time yesterday. Uh, 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 that I don't have a detailed breakdown of every facility. Oh, dear. 
That was a bit of a shocker of the day. Well, today is a new day there for the Federal Aged Care Minister. And one of the country's top Catholics has written to the Prime Minister with ethical concerns about Oxford University's potential coronavirus vaccine. This comes after the government committed to buy 25 million doses of the Oxford vaccine if it's successful. But Sydney Archbishop Anthony Fisher says he's deeply troubled by the fact this research uses cell lines taken from electively aborted foetuses. Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Nick Coatesworth says there is no ethical dilemma. This is a very professional, highly powered research unit at Oxford University, one of the world's leading universities. Uh, So I think we can have every faith. The way they have manufactured the vaccine has been against the highest of ethical standards internationally. Dr Coatesworth did add that human cells are essential to the whole process and that this is pretty common in medical research. The reality for vaccines is that they need cell cultures uh, in order for us to grow them. There are strong ethical regulations surrounding the use of any human cell, particularly fetal human cells. The Oxford vaccine is being touted as one of the leading uh, studies of vaccines around the world. There are over 100 currently in progress. If you want to really drive them crazy, you say 12 more years. 12 more years. That's Donald Trump there. He's been formally renominated as the Republican pick for November's US presidential election. We have to win. This is the most important election in the history of our country. At the Republican National Convention in North Carolina, Trump accused the Democrats of trying to rig the election by encouraging mail-in votes. He also got in a dig at China too. This is it. Our country can go in a horrible, horrible direction or in an even greater direction. And before the plague came in from China, that's where we were going. We were going in a direction like we had never seen, the most successful economy in the history of our country. Mm, Vice President Mike Pence was also renominated. We're going to re-elect President Donald Trump for four more years. And with your continued support and with God's help, we're going to make America great again. Again. Staying in the US and the country's Food and Drug Administration has issued an emergency use authorization for covalescent plasma to treat COVID-19. Today, I'm pleased to make a truly historic announcement in our battle against the China virus that will save countless lives. The China virus, the plague, we're not too sure exactly um, what this thing is, according to Donald Trump. The plasma, however, is made using the blood of people who have recovered from coronavirus infections. Uh, It's been given to 70,000 patients in trials across the United States. Now, the FDA says that initial trials indicate it's safe, although more trials are needed to prove its effectiveness. And KFC will no longer be finger-licking good. The fast food giant has decided to scrap its slogan after 64 years because it doesn't quite fit in with our COVID-safe world. Yes, do not lick your fingers, people. The slogan (laughs) is being blurred out in all of its ads. Um, It says, though, that, uh, that it will be back when it's safe to eventually lick your fingers and get those 12 herbs and spices into you. I just thought it was gross. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's going to remain gross, but we want it to be safe, Annika. Come on. (laughs) 
So you might have noticed that life is, well, it's a bit different compared to what it was this time last year. Yeah, you might dress differently or sleep more, spend more money on products that you might not have last year. Yeah, massive events like recessions, depressions, wars, and of course, pandemics, they change what we value. They change the way that we relate to each other. They change how we express ourselves. They also change our day-to-day lives. You know, the small things, what we eat, how we work, the desks we work on, what we wear when we're sitting on the desks that we work on. Yeah, so an example of this is after World War II. During the war, fabric was rationed, dark colours were in. People didn't want to, I guess, really celebrate. After World War II, though, designers went out and embraced more feminine lines with big flared skirts coming back into fashion. For you, milady, femininity in a suit from Jeanne Lanvin with emancipation in the accentuated hips. And now, a matching motif in leopard to enhance elegance in pencil slim yellow. So this got us thinking, what will this economic downturn do to what we wear? Are we wearing bleak, dark colours now? And what will happen when it's all over? Also, what's going to happen to corporate attire, which not many of us have worn for the past six months? Yeah, and the big question, what's going to happen to the bra? That's what we all want to know. (laughs) So to try and find that out... And to try and work out what this current health crisis and recession might do to how we dress, how we eat, how we work, how we play, we're going to speak to Associate Professor Jordan Williams. Now, Jordan is a cultural critic and she specialises in creativity and trauma, which is sort of the perfect Venn diagram for this discussion. Professor Williams, thank you so much for joining us. What do you think COVID's going to do to the way we dress, both during this pandemic, but also when we finally come out of it? Look, I actually don't think that there's going to be any one direction that we're going to go in. Um, We've all been working at home in our tracky jacks. Um, I'll confess that I'm in mine this morning as I talk to you. Me (laughs) too. Well, I'm wearing pants, just so you both know, so... I'm the most professional one here. I'm wearing pyjama pants. They're pants. (laughs) Many of the women that I talk to in particular are not keen to go back to corporate dressing as it was before COVID. So I think there will be some kind of casualising of what people are prepared to wear in the office. Um, And on the male side of things, really, I felt so sorry for years for men having to wear ties in formal business situations. I'm really hoping that the death of the tie has arrived. For example, British retailer Marks and Spencers had vastly reduced the floor space they were devoting to uh, men's suits. And so I think that COVID is going to accelerate some of those things, that we're going to see far less formal uh, dressing in the office. And, you know, we've had that athleisure trend, haven't we, um, in our private lives for some years. And I think really this is just going to cement that. Doing literally nothing in my activewear. Having said that, Many people are pining for their high heels and their dresses with flounces. What about the bra? Do you reckon COVID would kill the bra? Look, it probably won't kill it, but it might really kill the underwire, I think. (laughs) You know, so many women I know and also uh, women that I follow on Instagram are really saying that they're not going to go back 
to really restrictive kind of undergarments. And I think, you know, there's evidence on Instagram that many women are sort of really questioning how we're expected to appear in public in terms of making our boobs higher, making our hips smaller. And I think retailers are reporting that there's been a huge upturn, um, ironic word there, upturn (laughs) in um, wireless um, bras. Sounds a bit high tech. (laughs) Look, as somebody who is more on the bustier side, I am pro the bras staying in place. But I guess that brings us into personal changes. After World War One, women started to shave their legs because of shorter skirts. So what sort of changes will we see in the way we present ourselves, whether that's hair or makeup? What do you sort of predict there? I think that really makeup retailers have been doing quite well through COVID because of online sales. Interesting Not in this household, thing, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing about face masks here, I did notice that um, all of the people working in Mecca Cosmetics were wearing visors rather than face masks. Mm. And um, even if there's a vaccine, we know that um, it's going to be given to probably health workers first and then vulnerable people. So probably we we are looking at... Um, you know, at least a year or two more of um, face masks. Certainly for people who really enjoy makeup, visors are going to allow them to continue doing that. I wonder if it'll mean more extreme um, kind of eye makeup (laughs) situations. Mm. I don't know. As I've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, I've been trying to buy a house this year. It's not a very successful plan because nobody is selling it. But at the end of this, apparently I might get my house. Now, If I decide to renovate, what sort of interior styles do we predict come in after times like this? Is it minimalism because we are going through a recession or is that too simplistic? I think that people are really aware of homes as multi-purpose spaces now. Maybe the home office will have a resurgence. And there is some evidence of a turn to minimalism that, uh, you know, people just need kind of a yoga mat, a chair, a desk, and they're good to go. Uh, Certainly in my life, I don't know about you guys, but in my life, I've really reduced my consumption during um, the time of working from home. And I've become more aware that I need less. Yeah, I think that's probably a common experience for a lot of people. What about Mm. food? Will this pandemic change the way we eat and how we buy produce? There is some evidence coming through from uh, food retailers that people are wanting, you know, larger packages of more basic food. And also, if like me, uh, you do tend to read um, chefs who write in various news outlets such as The Guardian, um, I've noticed that they're really emphasising basics like, you know, the perfect spaghetti bolognese recipe or, you know, the perfect cheese sandwich. There seems to be a return to this idea of, you know, wholesomeness Mm. and good home-cooked food. What about art? I mean, usually we tend to see, you know, after, for example, September 11, there were a lot of movies in the kind of terrorism vein. Um, After any kind Mm. of natural disaster, we tend to see disaster movies spring up. Mm. In terms of art, like what, what do you think we can expect to see after this pandemic? Well, in terms of film... Um, There are a couple of films in production at the moment 
that are specifically dealing with this, the kinds of feelings that we've experienced now, they will certainly crop up. You know, those feelings of uncertainty that we've all had. Most of us felt that um, we could trust science, but now we've found ourselves in this situation where we know that science will probably come through for us, but we've realised how fallible everything is. So I think those are the kinds of feelings that will end up being explored in films and in novels, Um, this idea that we are all really sort of alone and that we are in this world that is not totally controllable. Looking back through the 20th century, say after the Great Depression Mm. or after the the Spanish flu, we sort of had the roaring 20s and then then the swinging 60s. Because we've all been cooped up and haven't been able to go out for a year and express ourselves, do you predict we'll have some sort of, I guess, renaissance period where the arts will be put on a bit more of a pedestal than perhaps they have been previously? Yeah, I think we're all busting to get out and enjoy ourselves and, you know, get together with our friends and, um, you know, have a good party. But is the infrastructure going to survive that will let us do that in the ways that we've known before? Maybe the virtual art exhibition is a good thing because it allows more people to access those kinds of things. So, I think we definitely will see some lasting changes from the kinds of models that businesses have had to come up with. And on a personal level, we're all hungering for some form of partying, but what form that will take I think is really hard to predict at this stage. Oh, the human need to party. That is the great connector, isn't it? And we're going to have to fight for our right to party, it would seem. (laughs) I feel like we've got to get through the tight-ass 20s before we can get to, you know, thirsty 30s, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) What's going to be first on your agenda, Jan Fran? What cultural activity are you craving? Do you know what? I am craving probably the least exciting of cultural activities, which is like a good old-fashioned book launch. How about that? That's Not quite what I was thinking. (laughs) No, you thought I was a cool, fun person, didn't you? Well, think again, Annika. (laughs) Look, I've been on some Zoom book launches. They are not quite the same, but I just want to dance. I saw some people on TV in a movie dancing last night and I just thought it has been so long since I've just been able to dance in a group with other people. So that will be first on my list post-corona. Yeah, just cutting sick on a D floor. Actually, you're probably right. That is probably more fun than a book launch. Tomorrow on The Briefing, sentencing for the Christchurch terrorist is underway in New Zealand. We find out what it's like for the families of the victims that have to face him in court. That is tomorrow on the show. As always, if you haven't subscribed, do hit the subscribe button. Uh, Follow us on social media. We're all over the place. We'd love to hear from you and make sure you tell a friend. Catch you tomorrow. Bye. A Podcast One production.